Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. All right. Hey, we cannot do... You did a good job with that. I'm proud of you. We cannot do justice to this chapter, right? I mean, this thing's packed, so I'm not going to attempt to. What I am going to do is I'm going to pull some nuggets from it, and I hope that's going to challenge us and help us. And what I'm really talking about today is the church. And uh, not just our church, but the church. There's there's truth and there's guidance all throughout Scripture for the church, the local church. And we're told here in this passage that the local church is the assembly of the believers, right? That the church is the temple of God when the believers assemble with one another. And that there's... uh, There's some serious work that needs to be done there. There's a blueprint for us. There's understanding that we need to have. And there's truth that we can never depart from, ever. And we see some of that right here. And just as as Malachi shared, Paul is addressing great division in the church. And uh, what is far too common in especially today's American church, where we uh, pick our pastors and we pick our celebrities, and we say, oh, I follow this guy, and I follow this guy, and hey, I'll tell you, I'm a fan of Piper, too. And uh, Tim Keller, you got to listen to his messages, there's no doubt. Have you ever heard of Greg Lowry? Oh, man, that dude can teach. Woo! I mean, come on. He's good, right? Then you got, of course, you got Rick Warren. I mean, he's got, you know, a bazillion, million books out there. That's kind of fun, and he's a good guy. Chuck Swindoll, I don't know if there's been a more prolific writer than him in all of the, the pastorates. I mean, it is crazy. We could just pick and pick and pick and align and go, that's my guy. And yet, that's not what we're supposed to do. That's not what we're supposed to do. And we're going to dig into that a little bit. We're going to dig into it a little bit. And we're going to figure out who it is that's supposed to get the glory. And we're going to dig into that a little bit. So let us start. And the very first thing we see in this passage, in the first section, is that the church is to be a maturing family. The church is to be a maturing family. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, aren't you, are you not Mere human beings. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pull out that outline, okay? If you only got one because you only took one bullet and you came in, then just share it with the person next to you. I want you to pull it out. And, and some of you right now are going to be just like me. I never do what's asked of me when somebody says it from up front. I'm like, are you kidding me? I didn't come to church to do what you said to do. Right? I literally say that. It's crazy. So, but I'm going to ask you to do it anyways. And so pull it out. And I want you to do a little work. And I'm just going to pause. Like, literally, you're going to have to stare at me, and I'm going to stare back at you if you don't do this. Okay? Because we're just going to pause, and I want you to do this. Within those three verses, right, uh, or is, is it four? Four verses. Within those four verses, he mentions worldly three different times. I want you to circle it. Circle it. Okay. Here's what I want you to do. In the last place that it's mentioned, and in the second place that it's mentioned, 
I want you to take that and I want you to connect that together. I want you to connect those two circles, encompassing the words that go after it and before it. So now you're going to create a bigger circle. Great. You're now starting to chew on some meat. See, if, if, if I just do it for you, you're drinking milk. The word of God is meant to be simple and understandable. The, the, the word of God is meant to be chewed and devoured and eaten by each one of us. The word of God is meant to nourish our souls the way that a, a steak or a, a, a head of bro- bunch of broccoli does or something like that. At best, when we come in here and just listen to the pastor talk and listen to him divide up the word of God, the best we're, we're getting is some milk. Maybe a little bit of protein in the milk, a little extra maybe. That's about it. See, what we just discovered here is that we just did a little bit of extra studying. It didn't take you hardly any time at all. You made some observations about the passage, and then you connected some things together. They're, the church of Corinth, the, the, the brothers and sisters there, were acting and responding in a worldly matter. It was such a big deal that Paul mentioned it three times. If you say something three times in a matter of like 25 words, that's a big deal. And so you circled the big deal, the thing that repeated itself again and again. Like, oh, it's a big deal. And then you say, well, what does it mean to be worldly? Oh, (laughs) Paul tells us, hold on. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) God's church is not supposed to be of this world. It's supposed to be of the spirit. And so the things of this world, a couple of them at least, are quarreling and arguing and bickering. Which means that the maturing church of Jesus Christ should be absent from quarreling and bickering and arguing. Otherwise, you are not a church that walks in the spirit, but instead in the flesh. You see that? See how that comes together? And yet, the reason why we don't know some of those things is because we... We just listen to a pastor on Sunday mornings and he says things that are really good and really helpful, but let's, let's be really honest. And somebody got mad at me when I said this a, a few months ago, and so I'll try to say it with greater clarity this time so that maybe you won't get too mad at me. I don't care what your name is. I don't care what pastor you are. I don't care what seminary you went to. <laughs> you don't remember what I said on Wednesday. You don't remember. You remember an an analogy. You remember a story. You remember maybe the passage we dealt with. But that's, that's as far as it goes. Every statistical measure we have of what people remember from anything that's spoken orally in this type of a manner is less than 10%. And as the days go forward, it becomes less and less and less and less. You see, there's nothing wrong with this because we do keep sorted it back in the recesses and different things like that. It builds on our knowledge that we're going to talk about a little bit earlier. It kind of builds there, and it helps with that foundation. It helps with the building blocks. It's really good to do that. It's really good to worship together. It's really good to be challenged together. But it is, it is an incomplete walk with Christ. It is an affront to the living God. And it is a sign of our immaturity. 
if this is the sole content of our nourishment. We must dive deep into the word of God and chew it up and eat it up. We must grow in our maturity in Christ because we first came to know Christ as the Savior. Amen. That's how we all start. And what a beautiful story that is. We first came to know Christ as the gracious God that gave me, <laughs> gave me freedom when I deserved prison. That gave me freedom when I deserved death. Gave me life when I should have been buried. Oh, amen. And I'm so excited about that fact, I can't believe it. We first come to know Christ and understand what mercy is. That I didn't get what I deserved in grace. That I, had, I received something I did not deserve. Yes, Amen. And we need to keep that message coming and keep reminding ourselves that message. And yet, if that's all we know, then our walk with Christ is a very selfish walk. Because what? We're stuck at the starting gate. He saved me. He loves me. He pulled me out of death. Me. 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 We gotta start there. That's the only place to start. And yet, he gives us his Holy Spirit to do what? You, you, you. When Jesus said, What is the first and greatest, when he was asked what the greatest commandment was, he didn't say, To love yourself and to know how much I loved you. He didn't say that. He said, To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength. We must mature and grow up in our walks with Christ. And that means we have to be in the word of God. We can no longer be a people that sit there and say, my way, my comfort, my desires, my, me. It can't be who we are any longer. We must grow into the Christ-likeness that we see in Scripture that you're studying right now in Mark. The, the Christ-likeness that says, I have come to give my life as a ransom, to lay it down so that others might live. It is better, than, it's better to, to, to serve another than to be served. It is, it is true love, the love that was lavished upon me, is that I would also lay my life down for another. It is the life that says, I will deny myself so that you can have something greater. That's maturity in your faith. That is maturing in your faith. That is becoming Christ-like. But it cannot happen. It cannot happen unless we move ourselves deeper and deeper into the Word of God, understanding the full witness of the Word of God. And that is why we were given the Spirit that we would know what the Word of God says, we would apply the Word of God to our life, and we would give it away to others. A parallel passage that you could study on your own if you want to write it down there would be Galatians 5. Galatians 5, 19 through 26. We know it is, at the end there, is the fruit of the Spirit, but what we often forget about is that it listed all, not all, of course, but it listed the, the sinful nature, the selfish nature. It listed the 
infantile nature of the beginning of our walk with Christ when we first came to him. Remember, it is a beautiful statement to say that Christ doesn't ask you to change. He asks you to come to him and he will change you. He doesn't ask you to change in order for him to love you. He says, I love you, come to me, and I will change you. Well, then we must grow up in our faith, and we must receive more than the original message of the simple gospel of his love and his grace, and we must grow into what that is, and we must learn to practice it, and, do it, and we must learn to reject the things of the sinful nature and the selfish nature, which is laid out in Galatians 5, and then we must do what? We must practice and live in the fruit of the Spirit that is bringing forth the word into our lives and changing us. We must learn to weigh our lives according not to our wisdom, not according to our desires, not according to our selfishness, but we must learn to weigh our lives according to Scripture, the Word of God, and what the Spirit has said about how we are to live. Do you remember what those beautiful words are? The fruit of the Spirit, the life that is maturing in Christ, is going to be full of, meaning endless amounts, love, joy, peace, patience. Right? Remember? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it ends with saying, there, against these things, there is no law. That means there's no stop. There's no boundary. They just keep going and they keep growing and we keep growing. And there's this constant movement of our lives to keep becoming more joyful, to keep being more faithful, to keep growing in our knowledge of what it means to love more maturely, right? How about our gentleness? How about our kindness and our goodness? How about it? So how do we grow in Christ? It must be more than Sunday gatherings. It has to be. Look, I, you can get as upset as you want. I'm, I'm jumping on a plane tomorrow. I don't care how busy you are. I don't. Because I care about your souls. I care about your life. I care about your heart. I care about your kids. I care about your spouses. It has to be more than gathering on a Sunday. And now churches across the country are counting their faithful attendance. That someone in our church comes one to two times a month. They are now a faithful attender. It must be more than this. Christ gave us everything. And in return, we tell him how busy we are. How full our lives are. How hard it is to get together with other believers. How tired I am to study the word of God. I know. I am too. And I struggle with all those same things. And I don't do it well every day. And I miss it sometimes. And I get three days down the road or four days down the road or Lord forbid seven days down the road and I'm like, ah, oh, I have failed to be in the word of God this week. And I must repent and go back into the Word of God. I must. So the very first thing we need to know about growing in maturity is that it's not just about this. It has to be about being in the Word of God. 
We must wrestle with the word and apply it to our lives. We must wrestle with the meaning. We can't just read it like a newspaper for the rest of our lives. It starts there, but it never stays there. That's what it means to drink spiritual milk because I just read it like a newspaper. I got our 365-day plan, and I'm getting through it. Woo! Good. Please do that. But then grow in your maturity and begin to wrestle with the word. What does it mean? How do I apply it? What did it mean to the people that it was written to? The four rules of particularity, right? It was written in a particular time, a particular place, to a particular people for a particular purpose. I'm going to study and I'm going to do great exegesis with the word of God. There's so many tools and there's so much help out there. I remember a few weeks ago, I tried to pass out some commentaries and nobody wanted them. Oh, learn the word of God. It's how you will grow up in your faith. Learn to wrestle with it. Learn to apply it. Learn to dig deeper into it. Learn what, how all of Scripture right, interprets the one passage that you're reading. Stop once in a while and go, I'm just going to dig here for a while. Derek, thank you for the incredible example you are. Thank you for the emails that you send me with some of the hardest questions that I can't figure out how to answer, that I'm calling up seminary professors and go, what do you say to this one, man? Thank you. Thank you for wrestling with it. Mark, where are you at, Mark? You in here? <laughs> He's out in the hallway. <laughs> Bro, thank you for giving me the word of God this morning. Thank you for pouring it into my life this morning. Amen. That's how we do it. We wrestle with it. We figure out how to apply it. We know where to give it, and we give it away. We grow up in our walks with Christ. It must become the measure of all of our understanding. It's not okay to take our wisdom and the wisdom of our culture and say, this is what it means to walk with Christ. There is only one measure. I don't care if you like it or you dislike it. I don't care if it goes against culture or it doesn't. I don't care if you feel awkward saying it or not saying it. It doesn't matter because we are obedient to Christ and we will wrestle with the word of God even when it conflicts with cultural understanding and cultural ideology and cultural thought and cultural philosophy. Culture does not dictate our understanding of the word of God. The word of God dictates our understanding of culture. The word of God dictates our interacting with culture. It is our measure. Our wisdom fails in comparison to God. We conform our wisdom to the wisdom of the word. We'll grow in maturity when we make that commitment. And finally, I've said it for three years. All those things I've just said now. We've got to meet with people. Stop being too busy. The word of God knows nothing of your busyness to meet with other people. It doesn't. In fact, it knows everything of be obedient. It knows everything of love one another. It knows everything of belong to one another. It knows everything of carry one another's burdens. It knows everything of teach one another. That's what scripture knows and what scripture teaches. So we must do that. I sat with a group of guys yesterday afternoon. Our conversation moved from football to this to something else. And suddenly we looked at each other and we began to pour truth into one another's lives, challenge one another about living on fire for Christ. That our whole lives are to glorify God and that is the great mission of our lives, that we would live in glory of the Lord, not to our own selves. Oh man, I needed to hear those guys say that to me. I needed to hear it. Each one of us needs to be with other people because we need them to speak truth into our lives, but we need to speak truth into their lives. The church must grow up in its faith, and that's how you do it. Get in the Word. Dive deep into it. Apply it to your life. It becomes the measure of all understanding and truth. 
and we meet with one another and pour it into one another's lives. It can't just start here. It can't just be here. The next thing is the church is, the church is a glorifying family, a God-glorifying family. Remember, he says, what after all is Apollos and Paul, only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each of you. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it to grow. Here it comes now. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. But only God who makes things grow. You're going to see a basket coming around. I want you to grab one that's in that basket. Every single one of you, grab one. Okay? So you're going to, here's the thing. He's bringing up this, this farming analogy, right? And he's saying, hey, somebody plants and somebody waters, but don't get a big head because they don't make it grow. And, and why, are you, why are you so excited about the one who had just the right watering bucket or, or, or the one who planted with just the coolness, right? He was that cool planter guy. He can just walk around planting like nobody's business. Why are you so excited about that dude? He's just a dude. And in fact, Paul went as far as to say, we're nobodies. We're just doing what God gave us to do. We're just using the gifts he gave us to use. We're just using the opportunities that he gave us to use. God is the one, our Father in heaven is the one that grows us up. So why do we get so stuck on the person? Why do we get divided over what we want or don't want? What do we get, why do we get so divided over styles and presentations and looks and feels and everything else when we do nothing but be obedient, and it's through our obedience that God does amazing work. Which means as much as I love the Chuck Spindalls and the Greg Lowrys and the John Pipers and the Tim Kellers, and I'm crazy excited about how much knowledge they have and they're willing to pour it out into us, I cannot follow those men. I must and only follow Jesus Christ. I must and only follow, be a follower and an apprentice of Jesus Christ. I must only bring glory to his life and not to anyone else. And so whatever is on the horizon for this church or any other church you're a part of, do not become a worshiper of a style. Do not become a worshiper of a person. Do not become a worshiper of a presentation. Do not become a worshiper of any of those things. We are to be worshipers of God and God alone. And then finally this. He put himself on the level of a servant, an everyday farmer, to the Greeks and their crazy intellect and their elitist attitude, he basically just said, yeah, even Apollos and I, we're nothing. We're just your average everyday farmer. That's all we are. We're the lowliest of low. And in that exact moment, he put everybody on the same exact plane. And what he was doing is saying, we all have something to serve. We all have a way to give. We all have a role in the kingdom. We all have a duty to perform. We have all been gifted to go do the work of the church. We must stop looking at the professional pastor and saying that is the way that we are to go. The professional pastor will come in here and he'll tell us what's right and he'll tell us what's wrong. He'll lead us this way and he'll lead us that way. Stop. Stop. We must become the church that does the work of the church because we have all been gifted to do that work. Look, you got a choice. You've had all this amazing grace poured into your life. You've had the Spirit pour into your life. You have the Word of God poured into your life. You have it all. You're being filled up like buckets full of Holy Spirit-driven just workers. Good thing we got a pastor to do all the work. 
because I really enjoy what's been given to me. And in fact, we'll gather on Sunday mornings. We'll clang our buckets. <laughs> buckets sound good, don't they? Buckets clanging together never sound good. And if all we do is we live our lives like a bunch of buckets, we've received all this grace and all this mercy. We've received all this knowledge and all this truth. <laughs> we've received all this love from other people. We've received these pastors who have poured into our lives and we sit around and clang our buckets. And then another pastor leaves. Can't wait to get the next one. Uh, actually, we're not going to, we don't like that guy too much. We're not going to clang as loudly anymore. We're going to clang you louder. Get out of here. Or you can be a pipe. You can be a pipe. A conduit for God's grace and truth. You can be a pipe. Then it goes right in you and it goes right out to somebody else. It goes right through you and pours into the lives of others. That you take God's mercy, his truth, his grace, and it gets spread everywhere. And you pour into the person sitting next to you and you pour into the cubicle next to you and you pour into the neighbor next to you and you pour into the next town, you pour into the next state, you pour into the next nation, you pour into the next continent, you pour out around the world, you become a conduit. You are the great conduit. Because that is what Jesus Christ saved you to be. That is why you were gifted with the Holy Spirit. That is why you've been given a role and a job to You're to grow up in maturity and then you're to use that gift to help the rest of the church mature. When each believer is using their gift, the church becomes stronger and more stable. The church becomes the church that was meant to be. God will use that church in the most outrageous and the most incredible, the most miraculous ways because you're sitting there going, we are a church of pipes and we are God's conduit for his grace and his mercy and his truth and it will come through us everywhere we are. Pull up your pipes, church. I pray that you will never be buckets. I pray that you will never be a stale, stagnant, clanging bucket, but this church would be a conduit for God's grace and his mercy and his truth. And you would pour it into one another's lives and to the world around you in a way and in a manner and with a passion and with a vision that has never been seen in Loudoun County before. That the revival that will take place in Loudoun County will start right here with the most mature believers who dedicate themselves to the word of God and say, Lord, we are your pipes. And may you never desire to be a bucket. Give away God's grace and his mercy and his truth everywhere you can. I know what. <clears throat> and then finally this, we are called to be an enduring church. We're not called to be a wishy-washy, here today, gone tomorrow church. We're not called to burn up in the flames of culture or anything else. We are called to be an enduring church. We are not the sum of a pastor who was brought in. We are not the sum of leaders who come and go. We are not even the sum of our most beloved congregational members who were called to this area to work, and 10 years later they're called to work somewhere else. We are not the sum of the greatest teacher, the greatest thinker. We are not the sum of any of that. We were built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, and each one of us is being built up with the word of God, and that is strength for the future that endures. The gates of hell cannot prevail against God's church when it's built on his word. But church, if it's built on anything else, 
it will burn up. If it's built on philosophy, if it's built on culture, if it is built on what I feel, if it's built on the latest church fad, if it's, if it's built on some well-meaning, beloved pastor, if it's, if it's built on the greatest orator that ever lived, if it's built on the most amazing teacher, the other day I went up to McLean Bible and listened to, to Loudoun Campus and went to church there. David Platt shows up. I'm like, David Platt, I read your book and I like listened to you talk and man, you changed my life. And David Platt's here. Wow. Stinking guy, he wore jeans just like I wear jeans and got some shirt on like I have a shirt on. And he stumbled over some of his words and stuttered once or twice. Did a pretty good job of scripture. Got a little too excited sometimes. Got a little underwhelming sometimes. I'm like, dang, he's just a dude. So disappointed. It can't be built on anything but the word of God. And the truth of the word of God. That is the only thing we can build the church on. And then our prayer. So we submit not only to the word of God, but we submit to what God is actually doing right here, right now. We don't want to build it on something from the past. We don't want to build the church up on yesterday. We want to build the church today and tomorrow. We want the church to become stronger because of what God's doing today. And we're obedient to that truth. It said you can either build with gold and jewels and priceless minerals, right? Or you can build with hay and paper and wood. The things that when the test and the fire comes to the church and pain comes to it and and persecution comes to it and difficulty comes to it and, 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 and trial comes to it and worldly philosophies and cultural influences bear down on it. It will burn up. It will fail. But God's church that's built on the word and God's built church that is built on prayer and devotion to him, seeking Lord, we know what your word says. Now, what is your next right step for our church? What is your next right step for our church? We don't want to depend on our wisdom for the next right step. We want your wisdom. What is the next right step? That is the church that prevails. That is the church that commits itself. So, <laughs> got to be a member to be on that search committee. Yep, yep, better be a member. And, and you got to you gotta be willing to dedicate some time. Of course. And you better pray and fast and to know the word of God and to compare the word of God with what the next pastor's saying. And when he says something to you, you weigh it and go, okay, all right. We can deal with this. We can work with this, Okay. And then you're going to say, hey, how do you pray? And you're going to make sure that you spend time praying with this pastor. Can I tell you what has never happened to me in my 27 years? Never. Never happened to me. I've never been asked to pray for a period of time with a search committee. I've never been asked to fast with a search committee. Never. In my 27 years of ministry. Ever. Even the churches that are talking to us right now. 
I haven't been asked. I've been asked, you know, hey, let's all pray about this. I've never said, hey, we're going to fly you out here, and for a week, we are going to spend an intense time praying with you and having you pray for us, and we are going to dedicate our time to praying and fasting before the Lord to make sure this is what God wants for your life, and this is what he wants for our life. Demand it, church. Demand it. Demand that we pray, that we bathe every decision into, in prayer, and that we bathe every decision in fasting. And that we know for certain that God has directed us down this course. For it is a course we will not depart until he guides us in another direction. Right? That way you're building on what? Rubies and jewels and gold and the things that last when the fire comes. And we're weighing every decision based upon scripture. And we're building according to the word of the Lord. And to prayer and dedication to hearing the voice of the Lord. Build up the church on that. So you have a choice, church. And I talk to the whole church. I talk to the church that gathers everywhere. A bunch of clanging buckets who receive the word of God and just enjoy gathering and meeting together. And Every once in a while, some stinky water spills on each other. Or conduits, pipes of God's grace, of his mercy, of his truth, pouring into one another's lives. First, you have to grow up in the word. You have to grow up in the word. You have to put the sinful ways and nature behind you. You have to stop looking to others and start using your gifts, and then you'll become a pipe. Then those gifts pouring into the body of Christ and those around. You use what you're learning in the word and growing up in the word, and you use those in your gifts to help others grow up. And then as you look at the church, you make sure that there is not one block that's built upon the foundation of Christ that is not biblical, it is not true, it is not right, and it hasn't been bathed in Christ Jesus. And the church will endure forever. You are the ministers and the pastors of the church. You have been given the mandate in Scripture to pour into one another's lives. You have been gifted by the Holy Spirit to be the builders of that building block that exists on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Go be a church of pipes. Go be a church of pipes. Be relentless about it. Take it everywhere. Father, thank you for this great church. Thank you for the blessing of this great church. <clears throat> thank you for their long history. But Father, may we put our history aside. Thank you for the incredible pastors that have come through this place. But may we put those aside. And Father, may we rise up in the manner in which you equipped us, that we would become passionate followers of you, that we would become obedient to your word in every way, that we would pour and be conduits of your grace in one another's lives and the lives of all those around us. And may we guard your church with our very lives 
that nothing else would be built here or built upon the foundation except for that which is true and right and good, that which is according to your word, and that we glean and understand from our time and communion and prayer with you. And so, Father, bless this church. Multiply this church. Raise up this church. And may they be the most amazing collection of pipes that we've ever seen. In your precious and holy name we pray.